Amen. Um, well, it is really good to be here. And uh, so the first time I came to Emmanuel was um, maybe three years ago, and uh, or maybe four years ago. But anyways, I, I came in and I and I had this thought like I've been here before. And it was kind of one of those weird experiences. It, it took me almost the whole service to remember when I'd been here because I didn't grow up in Chicago. I grew up three hours away from here, and uh, and I realized it was because I visited Japuza when I was. We have some Japuza folks. I visited Japuza in like. In 2003, 2004, um, when I was a teenager, because uh, my youth pastor loved Japuza and, and wanted us to see it. And, uh, and so I came, and I, I remember sitting right back here, and I remember the worship band that is kind of framed in my mind, and so it's just kind of funny to be back here. That was a really formative time of my life. Um, well, I'm, uh, I'm looking around this morning, and I see a lot of tired eyes, and <laughs> I totally understand that, um, because I'm sure that you were out very late last night partying, as was I, <laughs> given that this is the, the beginning of the liturgical New Year. So happy New Year to you, right? I'm, I'm sure all of the buildings were lit up in Chicago, purple, and there were purple fireworks in the air, and it was just a, a late night, right? <laughs> At least that's, that's how we do it in Wheaton. Um, <laughs> No, okay, of course, we don't do that, because that's not what you do with, with Advent. Advent, the beginning of the church year, is, is not the same as the beginning of, of uh, kind of our normal calendar year. And so if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, your church, Emmanuel, follows the church calendar, as do most churches around the world, which is a way of, of tracking with the life of Jesus through the year. And so Advent doesn't begin with a bang, but it, it begins with kind of this solemn rest, you know, this pause, this, this inhale and exhale, where we remember why we needed Jesus to come in the first place, why we so desperately needed him to come. And that word Advent means coming. That's all it means. And so as Aaron said, we're remembering his first coming in the incarnation, and we're looking forward to his second coming uh, that, is, that is at the end of time in the last days. So we put ourselves in the position of Mary and Joseph and Simeon and, and Anna and all of the others who are waiting for the Messiah to come because we too are awaiting the Messiah. Every year begins with just this way, thinking about the second coming. The gospel reading every year starts just like this, with Jesus' words about his coming again. So I don't know about you, but I know for a lot of us, the passages about the second coming can stir up a lot of thoughts and feelings, right? So, you know, if, uh, if you grew up in a church tradition that really emphasized the end times, then maybe you have a memory of coming home and your parents not being there and wondering, did they get raptured? Did I get left behind? I knew this was going to happen, and now it's here. And then they come home in the back door and you say, Whew, I still have time. I might be able to get in. Or maybe, you know, maybe it stirs up you know, just um, you know, these, these thoughts of chaos and destruction and there's some anxiety there. Or maybe you, know, you hear passages about judgment and, and you have you know, just this, this thought in yourself, like, am I going to be judged? Is this passage speaking to me? Am I the one who's not ready? Am I the one who's, who's not going to get taken? That sort of thing. Well, so what I want to do this morning is to clarify the meaning of the second coming. Because a lot of times we put this part of theology, eschatology, talking about the end times, we put it in this category over here, which is kind of like the weird category. You know, like, 
among the Christian topics you would talk about at a coffee shop where other people can hear, you don't talk about eschatology, right? You don't talk about the second coming. But the second coming gets referenced in the New Testament literally hundreds of times. It is a central theme of the New Testament. It's not some kind of far off you know, piece of theology, but Paul actually calls it in his letter to Titus. He says, the second coming is our blessed hope. It's our blessed hope. The second coming is what energizes and enlivens the whole New Testament. It's the foundation of their hope. And so what I want to ask this morning is, how are we to live in light of the second coming? And the answer that Jesus gives us in this text is readiness, Advent readiness. And so notice how the passage begins, and and I'm going to be in this gospel passage the whole time, so make sure to have that open. Um, Notice how the passage begins. No one knows the day or the hour. And the conclusion that we're meant to draw, verses 42 and 44, is this, to stay awake and to be ready. Stay awake, be ready, Advent readiness. That's how we're supposed to live in light of the second coming. And so to look into this more deeply, we'll look at these three pictures that Jesus gives us. You know, the, the first, a picture of the flood, and, and the second, a picture of an ordinary workday that becomes extraordinary. And lastly, this picture of a man whose house is about to be robbed. And each of these pictures tells us something about Advent readiness, and they, they all kind of basically say the same thing, which is, no one knows the day or the hour, so be ready. Stay awake. You don't know when Jesus is going to return. Okay, so let's turn to those three pictures now. The first picture that Jesus gives us is that of the flood, verse 37. For as were in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So what we're meant to see here is this contrast, this tension. And on the one hand, the festivities of those who are not expecting judgment, eating and drinking and and marrying and giving in marriage. And then on the other hand, Noah and his family who are busily preparing the ark because they understand the need for redemption. They understand the need for judgment because the world is filled with corruption and violence. But you have this tension because both things are happening at the same time. The world might not look like a place that's in need of redemption. It might not even look like a place that's in need of judgment. And this is is a tension that I think we know really well, especially at Thanksgiving, right? So uh, on Facebook, all these articles go on Thanksgiving. And so on the one hand, it's it's all this like Thanksgiving and gratitude, the festivity of the season. And on the other hand, it's like, yeah, but have you looked at the historical foundations of Thanksgiving? Like, It's not that rosy of a picture. We have this tension between these two things at the same time. And I I experienced this five years ago. I was living in Boston, and uh, and it was this very week. It was this this really Advent, I mean, it's just stuck in my head, this very Advent experience where I uh, I was participating in this protest march. And this particular protest march had to do with the the mistreatment of particularly African Americans in our country. And so I'm going to participate in this march, and it's going to be in the Boston Common, at the center of the city, this one evening. I remember being curious before I left, because at the same time was another gathering, which was the annual lighting of the Christmas tree. 
And I was really curious, like, how are these two events going to go together? Because they're very different from one another. And so sure enough, the march that I was in was shrouded in darkness. It was kind of at the outer edges of the park. And the lighting of the Christmas tree was just bathed in bright lights with a fence around it to kind of keep these two gatherings separate from one another. The march is filled with these shouts of lament and anger and grief and frustration. And the the lighting of the Christmas tree is, is holiday music and everything you'd expect to hear there. The tree gathering asked us to forget our problems and just embrace the joy of the Christmas season. And then this march asked us to name our problems, to mourn them, and to do something about them. And they're both happening at the same time, this tension. So what do we do with that tension? This tension that that we all know between the way that the world really is with all of the bad and the way that we wish it were with all of the good and even our need and desire to celebrate and experience joy. Well, most of us do what people did in the days of Noah. We put a fence in the middle, and we, we either live in one or the other. And so, I mean, and this happens in even the most socially conscious circles. You can't always stay in this kind of prophetic mentality. You, you, would, just, you, you would destroy yourself if you did that. And so even the most socially conscious among us have to put this fence up and just say, okay, I'm not going to think about all of that. That's what I do Monday to Friday, but now Saturday and Sunday, this is Netflix time. This is Gilmore Girls time. This is ice cream time. So I can practice self-care so that I can go back into the other world. We live in one world or the other. But Advent and Christmas actually give us a better way. Because they don't tell us to jump from one to the other, but they actually tell us to break down the fence and integrate the two, to resolve the tension by integrating the two. So in Advent, what we do is we look at all of the problems in our world. We look at all of the injustice and all of the need for redemption. And we look at it honestly. And we look at our own place in it. And we practice repentance. And specifically in Advent, it's a great time for a kind of corporate repentance. For acknowledging our place in systems and bigger structures that we're a part of. Whereas in Lent, we might focus on personal sin. This is, this is a time for focusing on the sin of the world as a whole and the need of the whole world for redemption. And then when it comes time to Christmas, it's not an escape from all of that. It's not like we're just jumping out of that, but we're seeing that all of these problems have found their answer in the cries of this baby boy in Jerusalem. I guess he wasn't born in Jerusalem, but you get what I mean. That all of the problems of the world are found, or the answer to them is found in the birth of Jesus Christ, God himself in human flesh. And so we integrate the two. The celebration is not disconnected and divorced from the suffering of our world. But the celebration is because that suffering has a shelf life. It will not be here forever. Victory has come in Jesus. That is the better way of Advent. The second coming is good news for the oppressed and the downtrodden. Judgment, justice is good news. And so Advent readiness means hearing the voices of those who are oppressed and responding with repentance. In the same way that John the Baptist called his generation to prepare themselves for the coming of Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So Advent readiness begins with repentance. 
Let's move on to the second picture, the second coming. The second picture that Jesus gives us is a plain old ordinary life. This is verse 40 and 41. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one left. And so the scene is a work day. And men and women are found exactly where you'd expect to find them on a work day, out in the field working or at, at, uh, next to a mill, making flour, put food on the table. And it's not clear in this passage whether taken is meant to be like a good or a bad thing, whether you want to be taken or whether you don't want to be taken. So in the one sense, I mean, taken could mean, it could be like a continuation of the flood analogy, where being taken means being taken by the water, so you don't want to be taken, you want to be the one that's left. Or being taken could mean, you know, kind of this, this picture of going to meet Jesus in the air as like a welcoming party, taken up to him as he's coming down. We see that picture in the New Testament as well. It doesn't really matter what taken means, because either way, this is a picture of both salvation and judgment. Something good is happening to the one, something bad is happening to the other. And the answer, the conclusion that Jesus is trying to get us to draw is stay awake. Be ready. You don't know when this is going to happen. And I think it's significant that Jesus' second coming, in this picture, it comes in the midst of very ordinary life. Because many of us live with a deep discontent for our ordinary lives. And so maybe you're in school, or you're at the early stages of your career, or you're just kind of at a, at a low point in your career, And what you're longing for is not the ordinary life that you're living, but whatever's coming, whatever you hope is coming next. Or maybe you're in a situation where you're you're making some poor choices with your life, and you're thinking, someday I'll get my, my stuff together. Someday I'll be ready. Someday I'll be I'll be living the life that I do that I want to live. But Jesus doesn't say that he's gonna return when you're ready. He doesn't say that he's gonna return when you've got all of your house in order. You know, Jesus is not a millennial. He's not going to text you before he surprises you at your door. He's just going to show up unannounced, which nobody does anymore, on an ordinary day. And so what does it look like to be ready for Jesus on an ordinary day? And I'd like to suggest that it doesn't look like having your house in order, morally or vocationally or spiritually, though all of those things are important. And though we should heed the advice of this colic that we prayed to cast off the works of darkness, all of that is important. But having your house in order is not what it means to be ready for Jesus' coming. I think rather what it means to be ready for Jesus' coming is to have the kind of relationship with Jesus so that if he knocked on your door and you opened it up, you would say, ah, this sigh of relief, thank goodness you're here. My house is a mess. My roommates are a mess. My marriage is a mess. My kids are a mess. Here, can you hold this baby? I need to use the bathroom. (laughs) That's the kind of relationship we want to have with Jesus. That's the kind of relationship we do have with Jesus. Because if he shows up, he's not coming to show up to judge you. Not if you put your your trust in him, but he's he's shown up to relieve you. So even if he shows up and you're embarrassed because you say, Oh, is he going to be able to tell that I've been binging Netflix for the last three hours while scrolling Twitter at the same time? Is he going to be able to tell that? Jesus would say, yes, I can tell that, and I've come to relieve you of those things, to help you cast off the works of darkness. Jesus shows up on an ordinary day 
in our lives. And so, in this sense, the second coming is not escapism. It's not, you know, being so heavenly minded that we're so, that we're no earthly good. Thinking about the second coming and, and divorcing that from our ordinary lives, but, but it's actually Jesus giving dignity to our ordinary lives because he shows up when we're doing ordinary things. He shows up in the midst of heartbreak and love and excitement and monotony because that is where we practice faithfulness. He's not waiting for us to be in the super spiritual state. He doesn't come to the people while they're worshiping and praying, but he comes to them while they're working. That's where they're practicing ordinary faithfulness. Advent readiness looks like faithfulness. And lastly, Advent readiness looks like love. But know this, Jesus says, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. Kind of an interesting metaphor. He's saying that the second coming is like a thief. And that, that idea of God's judgment coming like a thief, that's, that's borrowing from Jeremiah and some of the other prophets use that. It gets used in 1 Thessalonians by Paul and in Revelation by John. It's, it's a common metaphor in the Bible. And the idea is this, that if you knew that your house was going to be broken into and you knew when the thief was going to come, if you knew he was going to come at midnight, you would not go to sleep, but you would stay up until midnight. So if you know that the thief is coming, but you don't know when, how much more would you stay awake and be ready when that thief comes? That's what this, this metaphor is trying to say. And so we've said that Advent readiness looks like repentance and it looks like ordinary faithfulness. And lastly, it looks like love. Now, where do I get that? That's, that's not from, from this metaphor. It's from the way that Jesus ends this sermon. This is a long sermon in Matthew. Matthew has a lot of these long sermons. This one's called the Olivet Discourse. It's this, this long sermon about the end times. And he ends it. He talks about this. He says, be ready. And then he ends it with these three parables going further into what does readiness look like. And the first of those parables goes like this says that there's, there was a master who was leaving, and he puts his house in the care of a servant. And he says to that servant, make sure that my other servants get their food. And the master comes back after being gone for a long time, and all the, the house is in order, and the servants are fed, and he says to that servant, I'm going to put you in possession of much. And then Jesus compares that to a different kind of servant, who gives the same instructions to only this servant he doesn't feed the other servants. He doesn't care for them. He invites his own friends into the house. And the master comes back when he doesn't expect him to come. And the master says, you haven't been faithful. And he kicks him out of the house. He makes him sleep with the dogs. Okay, so hold on to that parable. We've talked about this theme of not knowing. No one knows the day or the hour. And that theme of not knowing comes up at the very end of this Olivet Discourse, this sermon by Jesus. But in this case, it's not that, that Jesus doesn't know anymore. It's, it's we're the only ones who don't know. Because we ask this question of Jesus. These are familiar words, I'm sure, to you. We'll say, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? We don't know. 
We don't know when we were serving Jesus through these things. And then the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, so you did it to me. So servants who stay awake, servants who are ready for their master to return, are servants who love one another. They're servants who love the least of these. They're servants who love when they know that they're doing it, and they're servants who love when they have no idea that they're doing it. And here's the good news, that no amount of sacrificial love is ever wasted. It's not as if you, you pour you know, yourself out loving this person, and then Jesus doesn't come back, and you say, well, that, was, that wasn't worth it. None of it's ever wasted because the master sees all of it. He sees even better than you do what your sacrificial love means. And not only does he see it, but he receives it all. He receives your love for the hard people in your life as if you were loving him. He sees it all. He receives it all. And at his second coming, you will not only be surprised at the timing when it happens, but you'll be surprised when Jesus reminds you of all the ways that you loved him. And not as some kind of you know, good works outweighing the bad, but of your good works revealing the good work that he began in your heart by grace and is now carrying to completion. Good works revealing the good work that he began in you by grace. And so the way that we show ourselves ready for his return, the key to Advent readiness is love. And so, Emmanuel, this Advent, would you hear the call of Jesus speaking to you through the millennia? Stay awake. Be ready. Because you don't know when the Son of Man is going to return. Be ready in repentance, seeing and choosing to see what others cannot see. Would you be ready in ordinary faithfulness, practiced and lived out in ordinary days? And would you be ready in love? Because love is never wasted. Jesus receives all of it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we eagerly await your return. It is good news that you are coming to complete the work that began on the cross. That you are coming to manifest the victory won on the cross all throughout this earth. And we ask that you would make us ready, especially during this Advent season, to receive you and your kingdom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.